you have your Bibles this morning, um, digital or otherwise, um, Judges chapter 6. If you need a Bible, there are some uh, on the back there, and uh, you can follow along there. We're going to continue looking at this idea of adventures with God. And uh, thinking about today, uh, Gideon, and that's why we're here in Judges. Next week, we're going to talk about David, and I've got a few uh, extra things. I've got a, a friend of mine coming along uh, next, next Sunday, uh, to, well, particularly for the kids, and then a little activity to do afterwards for, uh, uh, for, for well, the kids but for everyone but that'll be that'll be fun that's next week when we talk about about David uh, when um, you know, I, I don't even know if I, my mum knows this or not when I was a, uh, a teenager and in high school uh, I had a friend well I call him a friend uh, but every lunchtime every single lunchtime for at least a year I would uh, go to my bag and get my lunchbox out to have my ham and cheese sandwich, which I had every day, and every day I would find something missing. He would take a bite out of my sandwich. It frustrated me to no end because I was looking forward to my ham and cheese sandwich, and every day, I don't know, I'd try and hide it places, I'd put it in my locker, I'd put it somewhere so that he couldn't find, but somehow, through the morning, he would find a way to take a bite out of my ham and cheese sandwich. And uh, today's story, when we look at Gideon, is uh, similar to that, but not quite as tragic. We're going to continue looking at this adventures with God. Last week, we talked about Joseph, how God uses difficult times to make us stronger. And today, we're going to talk about the, the triumph and the tragedy of Gideon. We're going to go a little bit further in Gideon's life than many of us normally go looking. We, we often stop at a certain point, but we're going to go through an overview much of Gideon's life. The lessons of, of faith that we learn as we go through these, like I said last week, it's not necessarily that you have to be naturally brave. And by being adventurous, I don't, I don't mean that. When we come to Gideon and we, we think about Gideon, the first thing that comes to our mind about Gideon is his fear. And we, you know, we, we think of Gideon, the one who was hiding, threshing his, his wheat. Uh, so we learn another important lesson of faith here this morning. And one of those is on the top of your, your notes, and I've just in, in a brief sort of sentence, that obedience is always more important than bravado. Obedience is more important than bravado. And if I was going to give it a theme today, that would, would pretty much sum up the theme that we have. So we're going to look at, at Gideon's life in three stages this morning as we journey through Judges 6, 7, and 8 uh, to see the life of Gideon. Those three stages uh, will follow our outline, which if you've got the notes, you can, you can see it there, that it's important to be brave, but it's more important to be obedient and to be careful. And that's how we're going to look at Gideon's life as we look at chapter 6, 7, and 8. 
I think a verse that sums it up well, and on the discussion guide on the, the back of the, the notes this morning, I put a, a, a memory verse, which is, is this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or 16, sorry, in verse 13, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Watch ye stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, or be brave, be strong. There's some important lessons in that verse, which I think sum up what we see in the life of Gideon as we look. We're going to start, say, we're going to work our way through these chapters, but let's start by reading the beginning here in chapter 6, just the first 10 verses. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them in the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midians came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all those that oppressed you and drove them out from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask for your guidance. We ask for humble hearts to hear your word, to be brave, to be obedient, and to watch carefully in our lives that we might follow you with trust and fullness of heart. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, firstly, it's important to be brave. Scripture tells us on many occasions that we need to be brave, but bravery isn't the heart of faith. Bravery isn't what faith is. It's included in faith, but it doesn't mean that that is all things. But as we look here at Gideon to learn this, this lesson, right, we need to jump back a little bit. As I said, this these uh, lessons are a little bit for those who don't know Scripture very well and they're for those of us who do. But it's important for us to put it in context and understand where we're at. As we come here to Gideon, we're in the Judges, which is a period of history of trouble for Israel. A cycle has come along. So at this point, Moses, who was the great leader who God used to lead them out of Egypt and through the wilderness to come to the, the land of Canaan, which God had promised to them, is dead. He has, has gone and it has been followed by his uh, uh, right-hand man, Joshua. Joshua has led them into Canaan, the promised land, and they've begun their conquest along with his uh, friend and, uh, and, and 
strong leader to Caleb. But at this point, Joshua is dead. So the two strongest leaders that Israel have had are both dead. Joshua and Moses are gone. Caleb is now old. He's done his best and he has led and he has been a good example, but these great leaders are past and they are finished. What we find, though, is a circle develops, a pattern in Israel's history. And we see a little bit here in, in, uh, in Gideon. It's a pattern that goes through because when they entered into the promised land, we know God gave them a command. They were to drive out everyone in the land. Now, there was a reason for that. The reason God had told them to drive out everyone in the land was, one, it was a judgment on the people in the land for their idolatry and their wickedness and their despise of God. But it was also to protect Israel so that they could be what God intended them to be. The problem was, as we know, that when they entered the land, they started to do what God told them and they started to drive out those that were in the land, but they didn't finish it. And that's what caused so many problems. The result of their disobedience was catastrophic. Caused issues through the entire Old Testament history because of their disobedience here. Judges chapter 2, you can see that the cycle gets told to us. They, they, uh, They go, they get in trouble, they cry out to God because of their trouble. God sends a judge, and he tells us as long as the judge was with them, they followed the Lord. But when the judge departed or the judge died, the people of Israel went straight back into their wicked ways, and then their cycle would continue. They would get in trouble, they'd call out to God, God would send a judge, and the judge would deliver. Then when the judge was gone, they were back into trouble again, and so on. It rolls throughout Judges, which is why so many of us know that the real theme, or what sums up Judges so well is the, the end of Judges, in Judges 17, it says there, were no king, there was no king in Israel, so everyone did what was right in their own eyes and followed their own way. The result that happens, particularly here as we look at Gideon, is we end up here with Gideon in a time of terror. It's a time of terror for the people of Israel. Verse 1 of chapter 6 begins by telling us that the Midianites are there and have been overrunning them for seven years. And just like my sandwich, which got stolen and raided every day, so the Midianites would come in and raid the, the food and the crops and the livestock of Israel on a constant basis. It says they came in like locusts. Now, we don't know much about locusts. It's been a very long time since we've had a locust plague run through, through our area. But what we do know is we have seen children at the food table at church lunch. As soon as you let them go, and it's gone. And that's what he's kind of what he means here. They came through anything that was there, they took it. They left Israel with nothing. Took all their crops, took all of their livestock, and left them completely ravaged. The land was ravaged. The people were ravaged. That's why when we find Gideon, as we so well know, we find Gideon, or Gideon is found just in the verses which follow where we just read, he is found threshing his wheat in a wine press. Right, so you probably know wine, it's a big bowl. But you get in there and in, in a big bowl, there's no wind that gets through. The idea with, the, with threshing wheat was they went up onto the hills normally, so the wind would blow out the chaff and they would be left with the wheat. So he's doing it in a place where there's no wind, 
It's completely a horrible place to have to do that, but he's there because he's afraid. And he's hidden in there. But the reason for this trouble, the reason that Israel is being ravaged so like this, God tells them. The people cry out to to God in in verse 6, but as we read in verse 10, God tells them why they are like that. He says, I am the Lord your God, fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So he he tells them as he sends the prophet, and they're going, God, help us, help us, help us. And God says, the reason you're here is because you didn't obey. You didn't do what I asked you and instructed you to do. So here we are with Gideon. We find him hiding away. Verse 11 gives us that. It says, And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was in Ophrah that pertained unto Joash the Abizrite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and deliver us into the hands of the Midianites. We have here, as we see Gideon, a cowardly person. Now, I will rightly admit to you now, what I'm about to say to you comes clearly and, and, and wholly from my self-righteousness. Gideon would annoy me. If I had to live with Gideon, he would annoy me. Because Gideon is a cowardly whiner. At every turn, oh God, why didn't you do this? Oh God, this is happening because it's so hard. Do I have to do it? God, you said this, but do I need to do it again? And he's just a coward. And every time God tells him something, he whines, and that annoys me. I told you, that's my self-righteousness. Uh, that's not the right thing, but that's how he is. What's funny here, or not funny here, is we, we have here a man, God calls, God calls someone to deliver Israel, which is completely unexpected. Completely, out of, no, none of us, I think, if we were trying to say, who are we going to get to deliver Israel out of this, would have picked Gideon. Nothing about Gideon says he's the man to do the job. But this is who God chooses to do his work. Gideon isn't a striking figure of faith when we meet him. He is not a strong man of God when we first meet him. He believes that their trouble is God's fault because God deserted them. That's the question he asked God there in verse 13. If you were really with us, God, well, then this wouldn't happen. So he's blaming God for their circumstances. He doesn't have any godly heritage. In fact, what we find is we find his his father, Joash, is an idol worshipper, probably one of the leaders in idol worship in Israel at the time. He has a grove and a statue in his own land that, that people come and worship to. So he doesn't have a godly heritage with him to follow. He has a fearful spirit. He's not like the judges that came before him. You know, in the chapters before in Judges, we find people like Ehud and Deborah. They had a, had a strong spirit, people that would do the job, that were courageous. Gideon isn't that at all. He's a man of a fearful spirit, and he is constantly, from beginning to end, he is constantly seeking reassurance. Even after God reassures him and reassures him, he's constantly seeking 
reassurance. He's found hiding when we first meet him. And the first task that God gives him, which we'll see in just a moment, the first task God gives him as a preparatory thing, he does at night, and he does it at night because he's afraid. So verse 27 of chapter 6, he's to go out and he's to the, the uh, grove of worship that his father has and the idol. God tells him, you go cut down that whole grove and you knock down his idol and you build an altar to me there and you worship me there. And verse 27 says, he goes and does it, says, Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's house and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. So every part of him is, is afraid. He did this at night because he was afraid of what people would... Now, it doesn't really matter whether he did it at day or night, because they all knew it was him anyway. So day or night, it didn't, didn't really matter. Gideon is scared, and he's scared right up to the very moment they attack Midian. This is why, you know, when you know much of, of Gideon, you know the story, this is why what God calls him in chapter 6 and verse 2, when he calls him a mighty man of valor, it seems ridiculous. It seems ridiculous that this cowardly, uh, annoying, whining, constantly seeking reassurance man... God comes to and says, you're a mighty man of valor. Because Gideon doesn't have anything going for him. He's not the man of faith you would expect. He is a cowardly idol worshiper. But we've seen this before. When God called Abram, and called Abram to be the father of many nations, Abram was a worshiper of the sun and the moon. God called Abram, out of idol worship. And that's where we find Gideon in many ways. See, biblical courage or faith doesn't mean that we're not afraid. It doesn't mean that the things God calls us to do or the way we're to serve or living in this life doesn't make us afraid. It often means doing the things God called us to do while we're afraid and with our fear. None of us would have picked Gideon as a deliverer, and maybe that's how you feel about serving God now. Well, there's, there's no way I'm the right person for this job. Surely this, this ministry or this service I could do for someone or for the church, surely there's somebody who is better qualified than me, somebody who could do a better job than me. Even though I, I, I see it and I want to do it, there must be somebody better. Maybe we feel just like Gideon. I'm just not the right guy. Somebody can do it better than me. Somebody's stronger than me. Somebody's more courageous than me. This is where we need a submissive heart. You're for Gideon, this is a difficult time to take a stand. All Israel is in worship of other idols, and, and, and they haven't forgotten God, but they're certainly not following God. His own family and his own town worship Baal. He was constantly afraid. But here is where I have to give credit to Gideon, even though I may personally find him annoying and troublesome. He did it. He did it. He was afraid, and he was constantly seeking reassurance from God about what he did and what God asked him to do, but he did it. He did what God asked him to do. Biblical faith isn't about 
blazing a path or finding new paths sometimes but not always in fact not most of the time it's about following the God who has already prepared the path the result of Gideon's first step is we find as the the chapter progresses you're down through verse 31 32 after he had knocked down this altar and the people get angry he, uh, the, the city wants to kill him. His dad kind of stands up for him, sort of. And in that sort of his dad standing up for him, he gets a new name, Jerubbaal. Jerubbaal means uh, Baal will contend. That is, so it came about like this. Joash, Gideon's dad, says to all the people who want to kill Gideon, He's knocked down an idol of Baal. If Baal really is a powerful god, well then, Baal will kill him. So his name means, essentially, let Baal kill him. What it turns out to mean as it progresses, though, is not just let Baal contend, but what it turns out to mean because of what goes on is Baal killer. And it comes to mean Baal killer because Baal could not contend. Baal could not do anything to Gideon because Baal is an empty, dead God. So Gideon goes from a man hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, to a a man whose town is calling him Baal Killer. Simply by doing something God asked him to, even though he was terrified. In this, we find the promise of God's power. This was God's mission. This was not Gideon's idea. This was not his his plan. It was God's mission. Now, if we know anything about biblical theology and about who God is, we know that if God has a plan, if God has a purpose and God has a will, if it is his purpose and his will, can it fail? No. No. So whatever God intended to set out to do here with Gideon was going to be accomplished because this was God's plan, not Gideon's plan. Now, when Gideon is called, he has a very specific purpose. But that doesn't mean that every believer has a very specific call to serve God. Some of us will. Some of us will have a very clear call that, that my, my job to serve God is to preach the word of God or to, to go as a missionary or something. Some of us may find that there is a very specific call of God on our life that says, this is what I want you to do. But that doesn't happen for every believer. Because what the Bible does say about every believer is it, it gives us the name, the called. Every believer is called into the family of God to serve that God. We don't need to look for a call. When we accepted Jesus Christ as a savior, we are called to serve, called to minister. We are called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, every single one of us. We're called to serve God by using our gifts to serve one another and to serve the church of God. We are called, every single one of us, to love and to show hospitality. You will find when you read the Bible, you don't need to wait for a specific call of God. 
He has given you enough to do already to stay busy. Is fear keeping us from following? Think this is what this is what I know the Bible says I should be doing. But am I not doing that because I'm afraid of how it will make me feel or how it will result or what the consequences may or may not be for me? Are we afraid to witness, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we afraid that somebody can do the ministry better than I can? But here we see with God's cause, also God's power. Gideon is constantly worried about how he will do this. Constantly. From beginning to end, he's worried about how this is going to happen. But not one place in this do we see God worried about it. God is not worried about calling Gideon. He's not worried that, oh, you know, he keeps asking me, maybe I picked the wrong guy. God isn't worried. God keeps telling him. In fact, you read through from chapter 6 through to particularly chapter 7, you'll see God say over and over again, I will give you the power to defeat the Midianites. I will be with you. I will do the work that needs to be done. Gideon is a mighty man of valor because of what God would make him. God did not come to Gideon that day and say to him, you're a mighty man of valor because Gideon was a mighty man of valor. He came to Gideon and called him a mighty man of valor because that's what God was going to do in his life. The great missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, says, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. Anyone who has done anything good or great or notable for God, small or great, did it because they believed God was with them, not because it was them. From beginning to end, God assures Gideon he is with him. And God's call for your life is no different. He has promised to be with you. That was his great promise when he left this earth and ascended into heaven. He gave us uh, his powers that all authority is given to me. Now you go and teach, train, and baptize, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. He's given us his presence. So it is important to be brave, that is, to have the courage to do what needs to be done in a time when it needs to be done. But Gideon's lesson doesn't end there. It progresses. It's important to be brave, It's more important to be obedient. It's important to be brave, but it's more important to be obedient. So chapter 6 ends as Gideon goes through and he he clears his father's um, grove down of worship and and tears down the the idol, puts up an, uh, an altar to God. And then God says, okay, now we need to get on with the Midianites. And that's where chapter 7 begins. And we start to find God moving him to come to the Midianites. Chapter 7 begins in verse 1. Then Jerubbaal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Harod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them, by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. 
Now, therefore, go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And they returned to the people, twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for, try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people under the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Everyone that lappeth up the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the 300 men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go, every man into his own place. So the people took uh, victuals in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, unto his tent, and retained those 300 men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. So here is the plan of God. And the plan of God doesn't make sense. The conquest of Midian is legendary. We know how it goes. You can read through chapter 7 and find it if you're, you're not sure. But essentially it goes, Gideon takes these 300 men. They go by night and they, they hide their torches and pitchers and they have trumpets. And then at the time when it's, it's ready, they smash the, the, the uh, coverings of their torches, shine the lights and blow their trumpets and shout. And down in the valley, it's just mayhem and they start killing each other and then running away. It's a legendary thing. But as... Gideon, of course, doesn't know that's, that's coming, doesn't know what's happening. And as God gathers all the men there to fight, he gets everybody there and he says, it's, it's too, too many, too many. They've got 35,000-ish people there and uh, men there and says, it's, it's too many. So he whittles it down to 10,000 and that's too many still. It just keeps getting worse in Gideon's eyes. So it works out. By the time they get down to the fighting uh, regiment that God brings, the odds of Israel to Midian are 300 to 1. That's where it's at. 300 to 1. They are vastly, vastly outnumbered. Again, don't read too much into the way God whittles it down. The drinking of the water, there's nothing special in that. It's simply a way that God... Pick to say, pick these men, not those men. Right? So if you go to the river and you need a drink, God's not going to look more kindly on you because you lap like this. There's nothing special in it. It's just how God said, those men I want, those I don't. And here is the purpose of God and why he does it. Chapter 7 and verse 2 says, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give to the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand save me. Why did God do it like this? Why did God keep saying, now, too many? It's because I don't want you to think you did it. It was to humble them. To humble us. How, we'd, we'd all do the same, wouldn't we? Go into battle like that, and then we win, and we go, whoo, look what we did. We did it. Mission accomplished. It's done. And then Israel would believe that they are stronger than what they really are. 
It's their fault they're in this mess to begin with. That's why they're here. They needed to recognize fully their weakness and to exalt God. Pride is a killer. Pride is a killer. They needed to see, I can't do this. Only God can do this. Then they will see God and they will give him the glory. And the nations will give him the glory. You're living in faith and having these adventures with God. It it isn't about giving you an exciting life. So that's not what I mean by having adventures with God. That that if we do this, we're going to have an exciting life. That's not what it's about. It's not about amassing stories of faith so that when you get to the end of your life, you can write a great memoir. Following God and having an adventure with God and living by faith is purely and simply and wholly about living a life that gives glory to God in every aspect of my life. That God gets the glory. And in this we see also the patience of God. God is patient with our lack of faith. You know, as we look at the end of, of chapter 6, uh, or, or so, sorry, um, chapter 6, chapter 7, Gideon has his, his fleece, chapter 7, verse 36, and Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this, this once. Let me prove, I pray thee. But this once with the fleece, let it now be dry upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. For it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Gideon, like I said, would, would annoy me. I wish he would just stop whining and get on with it. God's already told him. By this point, God has already told him, I don't know how many times here, this is what you should do. I'm going to be with you. And he says, well, look, God, I just want to make sure that what you said is right. So I'm going to put a fleece out. And if you can just make that fleece wet while the ground's dry, that'll be great. I know what you're doing. And God does it. And then he says, look, God, I know you did it once, but... Look, I just want to make sure that you know what you're doing. So I know you did it last night, but tonight, can you, I'm going to put the fleece out, and can you just reverse the process, and then I'll be sure. That'll be great. And God does it. That, that astounds me. It astounds me because I wouldn't. I would have smacked Gideon over the head and said, that's it, Gideon. How many times do I have to tell you? I did the fleece for you. Come on. But God didn't. He did it. Both times he did it, even after all of the other times that Gideon has said, God, I'm not sure. And he did it. See, because the story isn't really about Gideon, is it? Just like we saw last week, the story wasn't really about Joseph. It's about God. And that's what makes the story compelling. Because it's about God. Let's 
see this for what it really is, this, this fleece. It's not a good example to follow. We've perhaps heard in Christian circles, you know, I, I put out the fleece to see if God... It's not a good example to follow. This isn't here as example. It's here only as illustration. Does Gideon know what God wants when he puts the fleece out? Yes. Yes, he does. When he puts the fleece out both times, does he know that God will be with him? Yes, yes, he does. God has told him several times, God will be with him. Does he know that God will enable him to do this job? Yes, yes, he does. The fleece shows a lack of faith. Gideon just needs to obey. Everything he asked with those fleeces, God has already told him over and over again. He knows it. He just needs to do it. So the fleece here actually tells us more about God than it does about Gideon. It shows us Gideon had a lack of faith, but what it shows us about God is God is patient. He's patient. He keeps reaffirming and reassuring Gideon. We see the same with Moses at the burning bush, don't we? Moses, great man of faith. We look at that man of faith. And Moses is the same. God, I can't do it. God, I don't, I don't talk good. They're not going to believe me, God. And God says, here, do this. Here, do this. Here, do this. And God just keeps reassuring. God is patient with us as we learn to follow and as we learn to obey. He encourages us in our fear. In chapter 7 and verse 9, as he's getting ready, so it's the night before. They're about to go to do battle here. Gideon is still anxious. He's still nervous and afraid. And chapter 7, verse 9, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. So remember, this is before the fleece. Uh, or, or, so this is the night, night before, the night before. Verse 10. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Phurah, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down into the host. Then went he down with Phurah his servant unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without numbers, the sand by the seaside for multitude. Uh, and when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. So you see what God has done here? Gideon, up to the very night, is still fearful and is still asking God. And God says, patiently, Gideon, I want you to hear something. And he takes him down so that he can overhear a conversation that happens in the camp, which again reassures him God is going to do this. God is going to do this. To the very moment, God is still reminding him 
God doesn't do what I would do and say to Gideon, look, just stop whining and get on with it. God is patient. And he hears, he says, I know you're afraid. I know you're troubled. I'm going to reassure you again. Now let's continue in this story. We know what happens. They have victory that night. The, the Amalekites and all just complete chaos in the camp and destroy each other and then start to flee. But I want to get to the third stage of Gideon's life because it's important to be brave, but it's more important to be obedient and to be careful. And this is where the important part of the story is because this is where we all finish. We get to the end of chapter 7 and we go, ah, that was great, God's magnificent and wonderful, and we forget to read chapter 8. Chapter 8 gives us some sad truth. The first truth we look at and will understand here is that pride is sneaky. And I say that in this because success can be dangerous. Gideon and Israel have just had great success. Sadly, after this success, the life of Gideon does not end well. He does not become the great man of faith we would hope him to be. In fact, Gideon, who before all this knocked down the altars of Baal and was given the name Baal Killer, leads the people of Israel back into idol worship. Chapter 8, verse 27. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither, uh, whoring after it, which things became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. This, he made this out of what he was given. He made this ephod with all the wonder and beautiful things he'd been given. And he hung it up and it became an idol to them. So the one who killed Baal now leads them back into idol worship. The victory over the Amalekites filled Gideon with pride. When he should have seen that at every stage God was reassuring him and showing him that God would do it, he missed the point altogether. If you read through chapter 8, you find he treats people viciously and selfishly. As the enemy are fleeing, Gideon and the the men of Israel start to to chase them. And they they start capturing and killing them as they go. But there is the, the tribe of Manasseh who he did not invite in this or were not part of it. And the people of Manasseh get upset and they say, and they had their own small part in this where they killed some of the leaders. And the people of Manasseh come to Gideon while he's chasing and they say, Gideon, why didn't you call us to be a part of what you were doing here? And Gideon flatters them. And he flatters them because Manasseh is rich. And they have resources that he needs. She says, oh, look, your part, you know, those ones that you captured and you killed, they were far more important than what I did. So you've done a a greater job at it than, than me. And he flatters them. But while he continues in that that journey, and you read through it all through chapter 8, he continues chasing after them after he has appeased Manasseh by flattering them. He comes to two smaller towns, and these are two towns which are small and poor, Succoth and Penuel. They do the same. They challenge Gideon and say, Gideon, 
Why, why weren't we a part of it? Why, why didn't you do this? And Gideon, he doesn't flatter these two towns, but instead he says, don't defy me. If you defy me, I will come back and I will wipe you all out. And he followed through on that threat. But see, they were poor little towns and he didn't care about them. Success is dangerous. After it's all over and done, the people come to Gideon. And the people say to Gideon, Gideon, rule over us. Be our leader. And Gideon puts on this fake humility. And he says, no, no, I'm not the one to be your king. But while he's saying, no, no, I'm not the one to be your king, he says, but I will take your riches. Pay me for what I've done for you. Exalt me because of what I've done, but I won't be your leader. So he doesn't want the responsibility of being a leader, but he wants the privileges of being a leader. He takes their money, but no responsibility. When you read into Judges 9, you find that his son continues with the same attitude. His son is vicious and violent, just like Gideon ended up as. Cowardly Gideon has forgotten God. And he has been deceived by his own pride. So why I say it's important to be careful is because we need to be vigilant. The Scottish pastor, Andrew Bonner, says it well. He says, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the victory. Success can be a dangerous place to live. That's why Proverbs tells us, guard your heart with all diligence. We have selfish tendencies. And we have a cunning adversary who will easily take our selfish tendencies and manipulate us. So pray always. Pray when you need God. When Israel was in trouble, they prayed. They cried out to God. When Gideon was afraid and in trouble, he cried out to God. And we should seek God in times of need. But what we need to remember is this. We are always in times of need. Always. You always need God. So when I say pray when you need God, I mean pray always. Because in success or failure, when you're high or when you're low, it doesn't matter. You need God. When Gideon felt strong, he ignored God. He thought he could do it on his own. Prayer is what dependent people do. It is who we are. And godly people recognize that we are always dependent. So protect your heart. Don't drop your guard. And pursue godliness, not success. Life and the life of faith isn't about winning. 
Life of faith isn't about who gets to the end and has the best stories. It's not about our conquest. It's not about our stories. It's not about our prosperity. The life of faith is about being more like Christ. The life of faith is about knowing God. The life of faith is about obeying God. Remember, just just like the, the song Hannah sung for us before, he is the reason. He is the reason we live. Gideon, Gideon is a lesson and a warning. Being brave in the Bible isn't about bravado and strength. Being brave in the Bible is about obedience, about following God, about doing what we know to do and following God. It's important to be brave, but it's more important to be obedient and to be watchful. So what are you afraid of? What's keeping you back? What's keeping you from serving God? What has God called you to do? Doesn't even have to be specific. Open your Bible. What has God called you to do? What has he gifted you to do? You know, as we walk in this life of faith, it's okay to be uncertain. It's okay to be afraid about what is ahead, about what may happen. But it is not okay to let that fear keep you from God. That's why we rest so heavily on verses like Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It is important to be brave, but it's more important to be obedient and to be careful. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have had to glean lessons from Gideon. There are so many lessons to glean from his life. Lessons of faith, lessons of pride and arrogance, but most importantly, lessons of your goodness, your patience, and your strength in our life. Dear God, help us to be brave in the sense that you call us to, to be strong. But even when we're afraid, help us to be obedient, to follow you, and to keep a careful watch on our life so that we won't fall back into this sneaky trap of pride. Thank you for your word, for its example, and for its teaching this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.